Edwards, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. Today, I bring you a conversation with a difference. It's with me. Over the past few months, I've been approached by listeners with the odd question, and and so the idea emerged to answer them in a podcast. I I approached the wonderful Trent Rosen, Learning and Development Manager of Canteen Australia, and asked if he would interview me because he knew me a little from work we had done together pre-COVID, but he didn't know me too well. Well, it certainly was an experience and I've developed even uh, more admiration of and empathy for my podcast guests as committing to the essence of being real, raw and authentic can also be a place of vulnerability. I'd like to thank all those people who I also invited to ask questions. Um, There are no show notes for this episode. I think that would be a little self-indulgent, but if you'd like to find out a little more about me and what I do outside of podcasting, um, this episode is here for you. Thank you and enjoy. Claire, you're approaching the end of season two of Authentic Leadership, which is a fantastic achievement. So a huge congratulations to you. And you've decided to finish the year by asking your listeners to put forward questions to learn a bit more about yourself, which I think is wonderful. So for the listeners, there are no out of bounds questions. Claire has no control over the order of the questions. And they will be covering everything from work bit about personal life and everything in between and in fact we've got a little little bit of fun at the end called the quick fire she has of course promised to be real raw and authentic which we would expect nothing less from Claire Claire welcome to your podcast (laughs) thank you Trent I'm not quite sure what I've let myself in for here but let's just let's just run with it let's just go with the flow Oh, look, I think it's going to be a wonderful next sort of 45 minutes to an hour of some very raw, authentic conversation. So, look, I thought we could start, Cliff, if it's okay with you, um, just to sort of, uh, before we start introducing some of these questions Mm -hmm. that your listeners have put forward over the past sort of 12 months, I thought it might be worthwhile just taking a little brief walk down memory lane, if that's okay. Oh, yes. So you, you started... Uh, working in hospitality for a European hotel group and then decided to transition into the corporate industry where you held numerous senior management positions. Then, somewhere in this time period, you discovered you had a fascination with the brain, which then led you to be involved in the first cohort globally of an advanced diploma in the neuroscience of leadership. Do you recall where this fascination derived from? Wow, this this is great because this is not one of the questions we prepared. Um, yes, I do, interestingly enough. Um, so I started studying the neuroscience of leadership and change back in 2013 with a company called NeuroCapability up in Brisbane in Australia. And it, when we started off... Um, with anatomy so you know it's it's not the whole of neuroscience it's it's the elements of what they call social cognitive neuroscience that's related to leadership and change and we were studying anatomy and i i remember i was back in school i used to in my old catholic convent school and i uh, i was up in one of the old houses and we were studying the brain in biology and i had that same feeling that same fascination that just total desire to learn and so i devoured this course you know there's sometimes courses where I, i've got a i've got a race to catch up on things but not this one so as soon as i started learning something i started um, using it and and I ended up actually rebranding my company name so I used to be called change works and people development and now I'm brain smart people development um so that's where it started it, it went right back to school and my and and I think biology biology and French were my favorite topics so that's where it came from thank you for that question which wasn't planned <laughs> it wasn't planned <laughs> 
It's uh, it's interesting though. I think it gives a real sense of the individual where where did they naturally gravitate towards a passion or a desire to yeah. learn more. So, yeah. um, look for those that don't know, you are an accomplished speaker, and I can certainly attest to this. As I've seen you on numerous occasions, you're a blogger, you're a podcast host, and you provide professional development programs and workshops, which fall under what you call the four pillars. So work smarter, lead better, build great teams and thrive in change. Uh, what can you share with your with the listeners on how you navigated your own personal journey to arrive where you are now, I guess, to create these development programs? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure how far back I go, but it is, it, it is a bit of a story that <clears throat> To, to make to make sense of all this so if I let's say if I go back to um I, I used to work for a US telecoms company it was a, a an internet service provider and Trent I had the job of my dreams so I was a head of corporate development and uh, this was for the UK and Europe and one probably the last role that I had in that was partnering with the um, director of finance to do cultural due diligence. So we were looking at acquiring subsidiaries throughout Europe and we would fly to these offices of the companies that we were looking to acquire. And then I would just very quietly, because I, I speak a few languages, I'd listen in to how they talk about us and and how, how they sort of talked with each other and actually one of the one of the acquisitions didn't go ahead because we knew it wouldn't be a good cultural fit and if you want to know more about culture Michael Henderson was the last podcast guest and he was absolutely brilliant but anyway to bring things to a head I was part of that internet boom and bust so I went from having my dream job with putting as much money as I could into the company shares um, for them just completely crashing um uh, being wiped off the Nasdaq, my role disappeared. And so I was asked to run the call centre in the UK. So I took over the call centre. We had 120 people. And uh, my God, these people were absolutely amazing. And I'd been running it less than six months when I was told that I'd have to make probably up to 70 of them redundant. So that was the start of the process, really. Um, we went through all the consultations. We went through all the voluntary redundancies. But the real pain came when it was the, the, the forced redundancies because, um, you know, we were, a, we were a close-knit tribe. And I remember one night, my niece was visiting, actually. My niece was visiting from Liverpool, that's right. Um, and she'd just finished her year 10 exams and I was sort of coaching her as to, you know, what, what's going to happen for her future. Um, and I, ju I just remember sitting on my back deck and thinking, what, what do I want? What, what's, what's been my lesson from this whole redundancy program? And then I just had a, a bit of an aha moment because I'd been coaching, I'd been coaching these people to see that there was light at the end of the tunnel because they were so close in their own teams and, and, and had so much promise, but they couldn't see beyond life at XO. And, and funnily enough, now my keynotes are all about shining a light or light at the end of the tunnel. And, and that was when I went and, and um, approached my boss, who was the president, and said, I'd like to be included in the redundancy. And he said, no, no, right. he said, he said, you're all right. The, ex the executive leadership team is, you know, none of you are going to be impacted. I said, no, you're not hearing. You're not hearing. I want to be, it's time for me to move on. And that's when I made the break from corporate. And it certainly wasn't an easy transition. It was, it was a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a bumpy road. Um, the day that I was planning to launch my company, Amo Vita, was actually the day of mum's funeral. Oh. So I ended up, but I, I it, it, you know, it, it all it all panned out beautifully. I ended up working for a great team development company and um, that's how I got into a lot of team development and team building stuff. 
and uh, the rest they say is history <laughs> indeed and brain smart that's been uh, your business now for how many years so i rebranded from changeworks to brain smart in 2015 after i had um finished studying the the neuro leadership um but i became self-employed in so, so after working for the for the team development companies i then um met a bloke from a place called Maruchidor <laughs> on the Sunshine Coast. I was at a music festival in the UK, met him, and that's how I ended up coming to Australia. Uh, and that's when I started Changeworks in 2005 um, and rebranded in 2015. So, yeah, I've been going, what, 17 years. Um, right. Yeah, with, with what I love to do. And still learning, no doubt. Oh, my God, on a daily basis. It's my addiction. <laughs> <laughs> What's, what would you say to any of your listeners who are considering maybe going down a similar pathway to you or maybe already on that journey now? What Anything that you'd share with them, like some tips or maybe just some quick lessons that you've taken away from your experience? That's a great question. Um from my experience, I would say, gosh, you know, there's, you've got that, that saying, take the leap and the bridge appears. Well, mm. I think you need to have some sort of stability and security and a little bit of money behind you if you want to do that. Um, look, for some people, it, it's great and it magically takes off. And for others, it's, it, it, it's a, long, a long, bumpy road. But and, and and I often I have this saying that, you know, often I feel like I'm dancing a fine line between persistence and stupidity that never quite <laughs> knowing which side I'm on. But I would never go back. I would you know, I I learned so much in my time in corporate. I loved my time in corporate, but I've found I've found my niche and the it's the difference that I can make with the experience and the expertise and the knowledge that I have that gets me jumping out of bed every morning. So in, in terms of tips, I'd say, you know, never, ever give up on following your passion, but have a little, a little pragmatism as well, because I, I've seen so many people who around the same time as me went into this self-employed um, and just and just couldn't sustain it, uh, mm. you know. And and I've learned, to, you know, I, I this is authentic. I've had times where I've had very very little in the bank, and other times where I've been blessed. But I, um, you know, the times when I've had little in the bank, I've I've cut my cloth according to its width. So no, I wouldn't change anything. Oh, wonderful. Just on that theme of the, some of these workshops uh, that you continue to deliver, uh, a question from one of your listeners uh, asks, "What what's one thing you would hope people would walk away with having taken part in one of your workshops? Oh, boy. Um, uh, can I have two? <laughs> you, it's your podcast, Claire. <laughs> I suppose the first thing is I want them to have I like a really um, immersive and engaging experience. There's actually, oh, um, Stella Collins. So I, when I, I went back to the UK for a couple of years in 2015 and I became accredited in something called brain-friendly learning or how to be a brain-friendly trainer. And that was with Stella Collins, who is actually one of my past podcast guests. And she really, uh, with her knowledge of neuroscience, really took us into pairing everything back and understanding actually sort of jumping into the brain of the learner so you know what what to do what not to do to make a learning experience complete completely engaging and and also i think and this is the most important thing is to be able to go back into the workplace and have the motivation and the drive to implement what you've learned i mean you know you're in the field of learning and development trend you know when we when we facilitate a workshop the feedback forms that you get on the day 
they're great ego boosters, you know, the happy mm. sheets. But if you're, if you're worth your salt as a facilitator, a trainer, um, a speaker, it's what people are doing three months, six months, nine months, 12 months after that that's making the difference. And I think, so if I come to the second point, I want people to walk away with the belief and the confidence to know that they've got the resources to to achieve what they want or to make the change or to build their resilience. And I've just been, you know, the deliverer of the toolkit, the the little manual for the mind, so to speak. I think I think they will be my two biggest ones. And I'd probably add in there too, particularly in a corporate environment, is that the the nature of having a, a supportive manager or at least in a team where you can experiment and you can apply some of these wonderful learnings that have been gained from attending your workshops yeah and actually that's that's such an important point and and also um because so because i use neuroscience as the foundation it's not the be all and end all but i use it as the foundation of my programs then it has to be a manager who's willing to take a bit of a leap of faith in what we do because it's you know it and i understand when you're in the position of choosing someone to run professional development programs there the you know the the choice is huge and 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 learning and development managers and, and people and culture heads are so so busy that it probably would be easier sometimes to go with an incumbent provider or or uh, an element or a, a theme or a topic that you're familiar with so this is a shout out to the people that have put their faith in me to say thank you to them to go with something that that is I mean we say new but it's been around for 20 years um that's probably still a little bit new <laughs> yeah it's the language I think too Claire it's, it, it comes that can also sometimes be slight a slight barrier for some because that it's what is all this about how do I make sense of this? I'm yeah. running an operational team here. I don't know if I've got time to really even consider this workshop or these development programs. Yeah. So I'd imagine you'd have some fairly um, productive and somewhat challenging conversations with some of your um, clients or you know some businesses. Very much so. I think, um, and yeah, it's interesting what what you say about language because. Um, really quite passionate about trying to understand what are the outcomes i know i know what you want i know some of the drivers i know some of the content that you want but what do you want people to be doing feeling seeing hearing differently as a mm. result of the investment in time um and that and often that's look often that's it's a, it can be a bit of a negotiation a, a, a bit of a compromise sometimes because that there's sometimes a mismatch between the outcomes that people want and the the amount of time they can invest in developing their people. And this, and actually, this is what I I love now. I was working with a, a client last week, and we're toing and froing, we're toing and froing, and it's co-creation. You know, again, another podcast guest, Lisa, um, on human centered design. So it's about okay, the first step in human centered design is empathy. How do I get into the shoes? of firstly the person who's buying my services and secondly the people who I'm going to be working with in the programs and understand their pains um, and try and work to you know the resources that they have primarily financial and time and still deliver something that's of quality and lasting rather than ticking a box to say a program's been done that I can't do that (laughs) Yeah, it, it, as we both are aware uh, that to be able to thrive in change, there's a certainly, and everyone's different, uh, there's this time period where um, individuals need to be allowed to make some changes in their own behaviours within the workplace, but also yeah. f- as going back to that, having, and I'll loosely use the term psychological safety, um, but to say, yes, experiment try let's all do this as a team together and there needs to be that that senior management support it's very i've found some in my experiences that without that it's a really tough road to walk 
hugely and 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 on and on that point is again you know if if a client is only engaging me for half a day and a day whatever the conversation is is also about so how how are we going to maintain momentum whether i stay yeah. involved or not yes. but you know because it's God, you know you can't you can't learn to play the saxophone by listening to a a CD of Kenny G or whatever, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's practice, 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 repetition. That's how the brain learns. Um, and, and, and that's what sometimes make me, makes me feel a bit sad is to, to follow up and, you know, it was such a great workshop, but we were so busy when we got back into the workplace um, that, that, and that's my job is to try and help hold them to account and set, set the scene and the environment including that supportive manager to say to say exactly that let let people have a go let them experiment let them fail fast fail forward um you know and 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 catch them catch them doing things well catch them doing something right catch them telling the new story catch them embracing change and and re- acknowledge and reward them for that because again that's how our brains work is that that tiny little ho- hit, um hit of dopamine when they get some positive feedback is going to make them want to repeat whatever the new behavior is absolutely and speaking of, uh, I guess, stories, um, this leads us down to where you are now with this Raw Authentic Leadership podcast. Uh, one of your listeners would like to know, what made you want to start a podcast and why on the theme of leadership? <laughs> uh, if I can be colloquial, I'm a nosy bugger. Um, <laughs> I, I am just so... Curious. I'm curious, yeah. I don't know if we need to edit that out. A beggar. Beggar, I said beggar, you misheard. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I just love people and I'm so, so curious. And yeah, I, why did I want to start a podcast? Um, and it's just something that I have wanted to do. Well, gosh, it's been two and a it's been two years now. So it must have been about three years ago. And um, I'm a member of a mastermind group. So there's uh, five peers. We all work in different areas, but we sort of hold each other to account. And they got sick of me saying, I'd really love to start a podcast. And they said, right, when are you going to start it? Just do it. Uh, yeah. And on the theme of leadership, I think my own, oh gosh, my own leadership journey I suppose leaders brilliant leaders who I've just had the privilege to work for I've had not so brilliant leaders who I've you know equally learnt a lot from certainly in in not what to do and my own my own leadership journey and how and how things changed for me how I changed my uh way of of leading people um and I thought I want to give something that's free, that's not available in your, you know, in your, well, I don't do one day leadership programs, but, you know, in in your leadership development programs. But and that's and that's why the authentic. I just I just wanted to engage with people who were willing to tell tales from the trenches, to share their stuff ups and lessons learned to to be generous with their advice and their tips and uh, honestly Trent I mean this 100% genuinely every single guest that I've had to date on this podcast has done that has been so generous and so willing to share and I just think you know emerging leaders leadership is also self-leadership um whatever we can do to help lift people up because it's not an easy game and it never will be um and you know every any to every little bit of feedback that i get from listeners to say i needed to hear that yesterday or that was just the right bit of advice that's what makes my heart sing yeah wonderful and do you recall who you interviewed for episode one Oh yes, on the spot a bit there. Do you know that? Uh, oh yes, no, no, I'll never, I'll never forget. Um, I actually set the bar high to start with. So this, this was a man who I'd sort of been stalking on LinkedIn a little bit because I loved his posts, and his name's Andy Holmes, 
And he was um, head of well-being for RB or Reckitt Benkiser, a huge company. And it was uh, his his views on perspective and um, it, it was the connected leader. And, and the sound quality is rubbish. And, you know, it was a real homemade jobby. But we went straight into a depth of conversation that that's, that's what got me addicted. And Andy's now since left um, RB and is, is uh, head of sort of the well-being practice for Corn Ferry. And if you can put up with, with crappy sound, I'd really encourage people to listen to it. I'm so grateful to, to Andy for, for giving me that first opportunity. It was brilliant. I will certainly be looking, uh, going back into your archive to listen to that one. So thank you. I've just written that down for myself. <laughs> one of your other listeners is asking, what's your favourite learning about leadership that you've discovered from one of your previous podcast guests? Oh, that's like asking who's your favourite child. Oh, right. come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh... Uh, okay, so Andy, um, something that stuck with me, Andy, it was really, really simple. Um, but he said he never opens his email before he's had a conversation with someone. Now, whether that okay. be someone in his team or connecting with a partner, a client or someone. And I thought that, you know, because quite often we just fall into this habit of opening up email and then just... Um, you know, helping everybody else achieve their objectives. Um, the storytelling, I think the stories um, that I've had, I've had two podcast guests who were both in the military. Um, Will Martin was in the Australian Navy for 34 years. And Bill Sullivan, Sully, Sully Sullivan, he was, gosh, he did, I think, four... Uh, combat tours of the Middle East. He was a search and rescue helicopter pilot. And I learned something about leadership in the military, that it's not command and control. It's mm. actually very, very equitable. Yes, when it's like situational leadership, when there absolutely has to be those hard decisions. But from both of them, I learned an awful lot about, um, yeah, you know, empathic leadership. Leaders in the military care so deeply about their people, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going. I want to go through them all, but I can't. Well, we've only got an hour, and we've okay, got more questions. More. Just one more, just one more, because um, it's re recent comes to mind. Uh, Daniel Flynn, so he's okay. the founder of the founder of Thank You, um, and I think he for me was the epitome of authenticity. Oh, and then no, I won't go into the others. Um, just, just for your list, just for your listeners' purposes, what is thank you? Uh, oh, so thank you is is uh, it's a consumer, a, a, a fast consumer good. It's products um, that are all uh, like hand wash and toiletry products. They started off in water, they went off into um, baby goods and, and and lots of different areas, but. What I loved about Daniel, he was so raw and open, not just with me in the podcast, but if you go onto their website, they the reasons they give for um, closing down products or, or or stopping certain strategies, he tells it warts and all. He's not mm. don't have shareholders. They're 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 a owned by a sort of a, a trust, charitable trust, um, and a hundred percent of their profits go to projects uh, overseas projects and and they want to end poverty they've got a massive vision and so look they're three i can think of but they're yeah they're they're not my favorite babies <laughs> <laughs> we've got another question here from your listener as someone who specializes in resilience and change what are some life experiences you draw on to get your message across <laughs> okay um uh how, how far back do i go okay um so i will I, actually i will go back because 
they're, they're called SEE, Significant Emotional Events. So, look, I, I grew up the youngest of five, um, you know, in a, in a family in Liverpool um, up until I was 16. Life was, you know, very stable. Um, and then uh, suddenly my parents split. It was a summer where I decided to leave school in year 10 because I didn't think I was clever enough. Thank you, Sister Mary Gabriel. Um, and I was going to uh, I was going to the equivalent of TAFE to, to catering college. And I met someone and fell madly in love, was completely infatuated. Um, and that person ended up being an abuser. So um, I was in a very vulnerable position because mum and dad had split and I was the only one living back at home. And, and as, as bullies do, they sort of isolate you from your loved ones. So they'll, they'll ridicule family and friends and you become sort of dependent on them. Um, so I didn't have any, I, I sort of lost all my school friends and anyway, so I, you know, I, um, I, I, I experienced, as I say, all, all five forms of abuse. And something that I did was um, I got away. I fled. I, I, I got a job with a, a friend in a little hotel in the Netherlands, um, you know, cleaning toilets, washing dishes. Oh, by the way, she she dropped out two weeks before we were due to go. Um, but in hindsight, that was a, a fabulous, fabulous gift in the challenge because I learned Dutch. So I learned to speak Dutch, came back to the UK, um, carried on in hotels for a little while, spent some time in Switzerland. And then I, that was how I, I went into the corporate world. I saw this, saw this big advert for a McGraw-Hill company that said, do you speak Dutch? And I went, right, that's my job. That's my job. And it was, uh, wow. it, was te- it was telemarketing. So I went from being a front of house manager um, for a hotel a hotel chain to selling strategic IT information services to the Netherlands and Eastern Europe. <laughs> Talk about fake it till you make it. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, in in terms of resilience, oh yeah, I mean, other little experiences like my my little studio flat going on fire and losing everything and and um, and being mugged at knife point in Madrid. Um, and and also, you know, if I am look, if I am going to be authentic, um, I, I was one of, you know, one of five kids. I always wanted a lot of kids. I think my that early life experience made me a little bit more than a little bit wary. I had massive defense walls around me, mm. and so I I didn't meet Jason until I was forty, and mm. we you know we tried. We had multiple attempts, uh, IVF attempts to have kids. And I think I've mentioned this briefly in podcasts before, that that one of the things that I learned in resilience was how to look for the gift in the challenge. And so, right. you know, if I hadn't have fled to Holland, I'd never have learned Dutch. If I'd never have learned Dutch, I'd never have got that job. I'd never have uh, grown a corporate career. And I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And And... And the the gift in the challenge, the you know, being able to reframe a challenge with with not being able to have kids of our own, is that I'm a bit of a possibility thinker. It's like, okay, well, can we foster? No, that wasn't possible. Can we adopt? No, that wasn't possible. Buckets of love, but just not enough money, um, mm. which is a little ironic. Uh, and so I went down the route of having sponsored kids. Um, so over okay. over the years, I've probably had about nine sponsored children. Um, I've actually only got one at the moment, um, a little girl called Keet in Cambodia. So I thought, OK, how else can I have kids? Uh, so I think, yeah, I mean, we've I, look, my 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 history is is no different from any anybody else's. Um, it's just that I've I've had I've had. Uh, some amazing opportunities um, to firstly I think develop gratitude um, and and that was some time I spent in Kenya on a project Um, we went out there to uh, we raised money to build a workshop to house um, people who could 
uh, teach uh, sewing and plumbing and carpentry and what have you. Um, and I, we, I went out there thinking that we were helping them and it was just a 180 degree turn. I mean, I learned so much from these amazing people. Um, and that's where, that was still, I think back in 2001, that's where I really got the, uh, the, the gift of gratitude, the discipline, the practice of gratitude. And again, Tony Powell, who I interviewed, she's a, she's a world expert on gratitude um and then the other person i have to thank is and i couldn't believe he said yes to being on the podcast is dr john d martini um because i did i did a pro, oh, i did two three four programs with him um and i ended up getting to the point where i could face um the person who abused me and have just complete complete forgiveness and 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 love in a way to say, okay, well, you know, my life was shaped the way that it was and I've achieved what I have. Not that I'd want to ever experience anything like that again. Dear God, no. Yeah. Um, but you can't, you know, you, you can't change the past, but you can change your perception of it. That's a long answer to a short question. Uh, there's, <laughs> we, went, we went very deep there on that one, Claire. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I am a... I applaud you for being so raw and authentic about your responses. And for those that are listening, I'm sure perhaps some people can relate to some of those really difficult and somewhat possibly traumatic times that you've experienced. And I guess um, on the on the question, which is around what do you, you know, how do you draw on your life experiences to get your message across? There's a lot there that you've just mentioned. And I think the what really gleamed out to me was that you just kept thinking it's possible perhaps that I can continue and I can continue to find ways within myself. And that is in my ways, what the heart and the essence of resilience is that having that raw and difficult conversation almost within yourself to say, well, what do we do next? How do I yeah. get through this? Instead of allowing your mind to probably all your brain, your brain to, to say, well, this is this isn't my fairy tale dream. Um, it's all come crashing down, and I'm coming crashing down as well. And there's that sort of fight and flight syndrome, I guess, that perhaps um, we all respond differently to, to some situations. Yeah, and and if I can just add to that, Trent, because it's you know, it's also about giving ourselves permission to grieve or to be angry or to have that pity party i know like christopher reeve um yep. when he became i think he was quadriplegic um he was he was yeah. uh my childhood hero growing oh up, was he enough. he was i still wear us i have a superman ring on my finger but we won't go there um but I yeah what that ring was i thought it was to do with rugby i have seen that ring um yes and and he said that he would uh, wake up in the morning and have a 20-minute pity party and he'd scream and he'd shout and he'd cry and he'd say how unfair it all was. So because be, because I've, you know, I've, I've done the deep work, um, that's not to, to minimalise uh, anything that, that anybody is going through and everyone has the right to respond in their own way and it's and it's interesting you know and thank you for bringing this out in me I, I don't share a lot of this stuff even in my resilience programs maybe maybe it's something I could start to share more of um but it but it does that lived experience I think does qualify me to really empathize deeply empathize with people and and help um, identify which of the there's so many resilient strategies but it's about starting small tiny 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 wins small steps and identifying which strategies for which people would be the most effective for the the place that they're at and don't get me wrong I'm not a counselor I'm not a therapist um, and that you know there's there's really room for for, for professional services I just, um, yeah, it's just in my heart to help people 
achieve some of the some of the good things in life that I've achieved yeah. despite the, the the dips. Yep. One of your listeners has asked, I'd love to hear how you sustain such a positive, upbeat external demeanor through the inevitable ups and downs of life. And we've just covered a couple of those in just this last sort of five minutes or so. <laughs> I, know, um, it's, I know who that is. That's that, that's Salih. <laughs> that's Bill. Um, Thank you for that question, it, Bill. And he also goes on to say, it's contagious in a very good way, but I can imagine it's not always easy. And it reminds me of that sort of REM song, everybody hurts sometimes, and we oh. all have to experience hurt and grief in our life. That's just what makes us human. But, yeah, Claire, every time I've seen you um, socially, you're, you've always got this glowing positive persona about yourself. So how do you mm-hmm. do what you do? Okay, so the first thing I'd say is ask my husband, Jason, because I can be a real grumpy guts. <laughs> I, I I can. Um, but I think I was well, funny. You know, when I, I shared before that I was about to start my own company um, after I left corporate, and the name of the company was, was Amovita, which is a very rough translation in Italian of I love life. And I think I do, I I, I absolutely love life. I love being alive. And and, and I think this together with with, with the gratitude is that when, you know, when things are not going well and look, like, like probably 99% of people who who work in uh, as as speakers as facilitators as trainers i lost everything during covid i lost 100% of my work and i lost it for 2 years and i'm 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 starting from scratch and and building building back up again but so it was it was okay well actually yeah it's, it's coming to me now so um the there's something that we teach in our resilience programs called control the controllables and it's based on Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people is about really sitting down and thinking okay right so the proverbials hit the fan um mm. what really is within my sphere of influence and control and and it helps to do with this with somebody else because you can go into victim mode and say well nothing's within my sphere of influence and control mm. um and, and get somebody to challenge you. And so that's when, you know, when COVID hit, I thought, well, okay, you know, there's there's force majeure in the contract. I can't, I can't do anything about that. Um, but what can I do something about? How can I use my time? And my business partner at the time, Anne and I, we wrote a series of blogs um, called Resilience Bites. And even even it's got sort of COVID language in it, but they're still really, really valid today. And and that was to find a way to give back. And, you know, when you think about it, Trent, we just, we, we just happen to have been born in, in very abundant countries, you know, it's just, we could have equally been born in, in, in a third world country. So I just, and again, probably from the time in Kenya, I just have that perspective of being so grateful for my health, um, for the people around me, for where I am in in my life and my career. And I've still got a million and one things that I want to do. And and sometimes I have to calibrate because I get overly excited about things. And it's mm-hmm. like, my God, she's so blooming positive. Will you just calm her down a bit but yeah it is it is who I am but yes I do get grumpy too (laughs) yeah and and look perhaps just as we're obviously having this conversation perhaps some of what you've experienced and as you've said and um from your past has shaped you to be or has shaped you I'm sure and you even mentioned that to be who you are today and perhaps you're looking at some situations now where you're like and it, and it actually reminds me of that the uh, the locus of control, you know, yeah. by Julian Rotta, who talks to the extent of what people believe that they how they can control the 
their lives and the external forces. And I do recall someone sitting down with me one time drawing two circles, a small one in the middle and the large one on the outside. Yeah, and they said, yeah. everything on the outside, that's your external. You can attempt to influence, but you can't control. In yeah. the inner circle, that's you. You can decide how you want to wake up in the morning. You can decide how you want to have conversations with your family, your loved ones, your team. You can decide if you're going to go and do some exercise or not, stay in bed or actually do something today. So we actually do have that control. But perhaps some of what you've experienced certainly has shaped you and you think that, you know, I need to be more upbeat. I want to be more upbeat because I can control that about myself. It could have been a whole different trajectory trend and I'm grateful that it didn't turn out that way yeah yeah absolutely as we all are yeah we've got another lovely question here it says I'd love to hear about trends and themes you have seen this year and what you anticipate may be coming in the foreseeable future that's a great question. Um, I, it's actually, a broad I, one. It is a broad one. I suppose from if we take it from a leadership perspective, I've I've been lucky enough to either speak at um, or be a, a, a delegate at quite a few conferences this year. Oh my god, it's so good to be back face to face. I loved it. I um, totally agree. <laughs> I think the themes. What's emerging is the whole uh, leading through uncertainty and ambiguity and that how difficult it is for many leaders because there are no benchmarks. There's nothing from the past to base this on. So our world of work has changed and, and will forever be different. And I think a lot of leaders are grappling with the whole concept of hybrid from from one end of the continuum is where they just see it as a logistics and and how many you know how what days of the week do people work from home and what days of the week do people come in through mm. to how do we you know how how do we use our culture and the way that we lead to attract talent to make hybrid one of the best experiences we can make so how do we make the commute worth it for people what is it that we want them to be experiencing when they come together and I think it's those leaders who understand that we're social beings we're tribal in nature even even if we're introverted um that you know to how can we really make this work and and invest time into it so I see that as one of the one of the key challenges or or, or themes this year um interestingly some i read an article yesterday from forbes from um a fellow speaker danielle dobson and it's unfortunately it's not it's not good news and it's that um more more women are leaving the workforce who are in leadership and executive positions and um I knew, obviously, I knew we were going to have the podcast today. So I actually pulled this this quote out from her article. And she said, in Australia, just 6% of the ASX 300 CEOs and 26% of executive leadership roles are held by women. Um, Australia is falling behind on measures of gender equality and has dropped from 15th position in 2006 listen to this, to 43rd position in 2022 on the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Index. So, you know, this is the, the these are leakages we absolutely cannot afford to have. And it goes hand in hand with diversity, equity and inclusion, that this yeah. has to be something that is embedded into culture. It's not a tick on the box. It's understanding, understanding the challenges that so many women still face. Um, in being leaders in the workplace, in understanding things like talent pools. Um, Yvonne and Alex Kelly, who were on our podcast, they have a social enterprise where they find, and I'm one of their career coaches, where they find work for refugees. It's a phenomenally talented pool of resource that that we haven't yet tapped into. Um, So I think that there are some huge challenges ahead I I do think we're moving in the right direction but I don't think we can get complacent you know it's funny um Kristen Ferguson who who I follow uh she 
posted something on LinkedIn about the likes of, you know, Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos and and Sam, oh, what's his name? Uh, Bank and Freed from uh, FTX that, you know, they were leaders where it was, and they're young millennials where it was all about me. It was all about greed. It was all about power. So we can't rest on our laurels yet, I don't think. I hope that's answered the question. <laughs> yeah, I think it has. And actually kind of segues nicely into this next question is, if you had a magic wand to change the corporate culture to mm. make some change, what would be your first wish? More CEOs, <laughs> senior leaders uh, yeah, looking at diversity yeah. inclusion perhaps? Um, actually, um, Michael Henderson was my, my last guest. And I was shocked when he told me that uh, the recent statistics, only 8% of leaders of organizations are actively working on their culture and they're actually leaving, you know, huge amounts of money or, or abundance wealth on the table by not doing so because it can be a strategic asset. But, do you know, I think if if, I, if we could, it, picking up, so, so Michael's, Michael's an anthropologist, and if you think about um, corp the two words, corporate culture. So corporate comes from the Latin corpus, which is body. Okay. So if we could change, if I could change anything, I think I'd change it from corporate culture to human culture, that we're dealing with humans. And then also, if you look at the word culture, it's to tend, to nurture, and to grow. So yeah. I think if I had my magic wand, it would be, it would be getting the message of 21st century leadership across that what are still considered soft skills are really essential skills. The, that investment in it, that investment in people, you can still get a massive shareholder return on value. Look at Atlassian. Um, you know, look at those companies that really, really do focus on investing in their people and they're going gangbusters it's not just their product it's their culture so i'd say that you know a focus on the culture and and how it can be an amazing um differentiation for you as an organization to to attract grow and retain your talent and and keep humanizing leadership and oh yeah, that that actually Sylvia Damiano from the About My Brain Institute. She wrote a brilliant book called Leadership Is Upside Down, and she was a podcast guest as well. And she talks about democratizing and and um, distributing leadership. That it, it, it's time for us to rethink what we mean about leadership. You know, when you think about Michael asked me to. You know, he, he said that we, we think in schemas. And when I think of leadership, I still think of a pyramid. And it's like, no, right. Claire, no, it's not that the leader is at the top. And, you know, and we don't need charismatic Elizabeth Holmes of this world um, is to rethink leadership is in every single one of us, every single one of us. And when we embrace our own leadership ability, we don't need that pyramid anymore. Or might not. <laughs> well, it's a, certainly, you, you put a different um, perspective on it, Claire. I um, mean, you've even got me thinking at this time. So thank you for sharing that. Um, we've got probably one or two more questions, and then I'd love to jump into a little fun, quick-fire 60 seconds activity with you, uh, which <laughs> yeah, you haven't no been briefed on. I have no idea what's coming. <laughs> and uh, uh, they're above board, so uh, we should have a bit of fun with those. So one of your other listeners wanted to ask you, given what you know about using the brain from your change and resilience and obviously what we've just spoken about now, how would you be able to influence or what sort of suggestions do you have around influencing, you know, managers uh, from your time in, the, in your corporate world? <laughs> It's a tough one. The, the first thing that comes to mind is you can't change anybody else, but you can change yourself to um, yeah to, to adapt to them. Um, I mean, I think yeah, for me it would be around my le my levels of, of self awareness. But it, okay, so I know who asked this question. 
Will, I'll speak to you later. Um, I think, if yes, if I had my time again and I was able to study then what I studied now, it would be it would be sharing what I'd learned. Um, certainly for those for those leaders, you know, the key decisions when I left companies, I left a leader. I didn't leave. I didn't leave the organization. I left a leader. Um, and so when when I've worked for challenging leaders, it would be again uh, helping them understand that we are tribal in nature and to treat every individual as an individual and really get to know them and understand what makes them tick. I think, and I don't even know if this has got to do with the brain, but certainly if I had my time again, I'd be more assertive. Uh, I'd speak up more. So it's, I think certainly, and, and, and sharing about psychological safety you know about that as a as a foundation for creating a culture where where people can bring their whole selves to work and 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 I've worked for some brilliant leaders and when I think about what was it that made them brilliant they were actually embodying neuro leadership without even knowing that it existed so they stayed super cool under pressure you know with that emotion regulation they um they created an environment that sort of helped us um feel less threatened by challenges the way that they communicated change you know my last boss mike was just absolutely brilliant when we were going through the redundancies he did these daily conference calls and we were a 24-7 call centre so we'd make sure that every shift got to hear them even if there was no new news. He right. he, he, he hyper-communicated, he was empathic. Um, so yeah, I think I'd... And, and, and actually, there's, you know, one of the bosses who was... He often took credit for... I did all the... I did, I did all the hard work and then he took credit for it. I, I met him a few years after I then moved to another company. And we he invited me to go sailing. He, he was a passionate sailor and we did a round the, round the Isle of Wight yacht race. And in the evening he shared with me, he was totally out of his depth. And that just reframed everything for me. So, you know, I know it sounds a bit soppy, but sometimes difficult leaders, you know, there are, there are reasons why they're difficult. Or if we seek first to understand, then that might help how, how we deal with them. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a bit of a roundabout, <laughs> roundabout answer. No, it's <laughs> all right. <laughs> And just one final question, and I guess it kind of really brings it all together. This is why the focus on the brain and does it really make a difference? Mm. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. So as I said, when I, when, as I started learning, um, I was doing, I did a, a diploma in the neuroscience of leadership and then, and then uh, in 2018, I did an advanced diploma that what, what I realized was a, a lot of the people I work with, you know, they, they're super strong, their strengths are in their analysis, they're rational, they're logical. And to be able to offer something that's evidence-based um, rather than just a hypothesis, um, I was, what I realized, I, I was working with um, a, a large utility company in Queensland and doing a lot of programs that were the neuroscience based around change and resilience. And you could see these light bulbs of understanding going on when I was explaining some of the, you know, the basic areas of as, as networks of the brain re related to change, related to what we call threat and reward, related to building resilience. And um, actually, one I was uh, I was running a workshop on the Sunshine Coast, and one of the previous people in my program, one of the leaders, walked past. It was on lunch break, and he he came in to see me. He said, "Oh, have you got five minutes? I've been meaning to get in touch with you." I said, "Yeah, sure." 
And he was head of um, workplace health and safety. And this was a utility company that was, had to be extremely safety conscious. Right. And he was really, really struggling with his people um, because they saw they saw him as a bit of a pied piper of a leader and they and, and he he was disliked. And he just said, I just want to say thank you, Claire. He said, my relationship with my people has changed. My relationship with my wife has changed. And above all, my relationship with my five-year-old son has changed. So the answer is yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right. And absolutely. Um, I think of some of the things that I've experienced and how learning from others has shaped my thinking over time as well, whereas... Obviously, as I've gone through life experiences, I've taken the good and I've pushed aside the, the ones that I prefer not to remember. But I always sort of think about at times when I need to draw on those less favourable experiences to just kind of stop and think and gather my thinking and be less reactive on emotion. Whereas previously I was quite an emotive person, I'd react straight away. But I've certainly learned that within myself to sort of bring things back into some context at time and even just taking time to think about my response to certain situations mm. as opposed to reacting on the spot. So, Yeah, we have the power of veto. We have 0.2 seconds to change from reacting to responding. <laughs> That's Well, we're going to now segue into our quick fire, which okay. is going to be reacting and responding <laughs> in 60 seconds here, Claire. And look, uh, these are just going to be some fun questions. So okay. I'm just going to ask you some questions and I'd love you just to respond with the first thought that comes to mind. So yeah. no need to think too hard about okay. them. But hopefully your listeners can learn a little bit more about you in this time. All right, starting the clock now. Do you naturally gravitate towards tea or coffee in the morning? Uh, lemon and hot water, then tea, then coffee. Wow. Playing sport or watching sport or neither? Uh, one of the reasons Jason married me was because I like watching sport and uh, I love dancing and playing tennis. Wonderful. Holiday preference, would it be to relax by the pool or do you seek out adventure? Adventure, adventure, adventure. <laughs> <laughs> when do you feel most productive in the day? Uh, between 6 and 10 in the morning and uh, be between sort of four and seven in the evening. Lunchtime's okay, but two to four uh, is bleh. Right, more that European siesta comes into it. <laughs> yeah. Any specific shows you are currently watching that you would recommend? Not at the moment. No, I'm looking for a good one. Okay, maybe some of your listeners can uh, yeah. send some suggestions through. What book are you currently reading? Oh, can finally say a fiction book um the island by victoria hislop it's about spinner longer which is an island in greece it's a novel um it was a, lep a leper colony and um and social by matthew lieberman because i'm writing a white paper on the model i've developed okay sounds fascinating on that one what's your favorite time of year when i lived in the uk autumn oh, just love it there's a uh, the seasons aren't quite as defined here, but still, yeah. When 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 the heat of summer's gone and and the cool crispness and the and the clear sunrises, so still autumn, even though it's not as pronounced. <laughs> okay. What's one piece of advice you would go back and tell your younger self? Now I know there could be a lot with that one, yeah, but is no. there just one? Um. Trust and things will work out. My mum used to say, what's for you will ne'er go past you. What's, what's meant for you is meant for you. Wonderful. What's the most bizarre thing you've ever eaten? Oh, um, probably when I was in Holland and the chef gave me, um, I can't, um, uh, calf glands, um, the glands from the neck of a calf. It's all right. I've been vegetarian since 1990. Right. That might have been the reason you chose to be vegetarian, and I don't blame you. If you had a time machine, would you go forward or back in time? Oh, gosh. 
when I was younger, I'd always want to go forward, but I think I'd go back. But how far back? Oh my goodness, I don't know. I think I'd, I'd maybe go back and see if I could interview Jesus and what all the, you know, he. I'm sure he was an amazing person, but I'd like to verify it. <laughs> okay. If, if you were shipwrecked on an island, so I think Cast Away the movie, would yeah. you seek to build shelter first or search for food first? Shelter. Okay. Who is your inspiration? So think professionally that you follow, and I know you've got a few, but is there one that sort of stands out? Oh, I mean, I I love Mike Cannon-Brooks, the CEO of Atlassian. I think he's, you know, He's, he's changing the world um, and, and the Dalai Lama. Okay. If you could delete one of your social media accounts, so think Twitter or LinkedIn, which one would it be? Oh, definitely Twitter now. Okay. I thought you might say that. And lastly, if you weren't producing your podcasts or involved in professional speaking and obviously delivering your professional development programs with Brain Smart, what might you be doing, Claire? <laughs> I'd be uh, fostering injured joeys, um, kangaroos, wombats, possums. Um, I'd be adopting donkeys, but there's not too many of them in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Depends if we're talking about the animal ones or not. <laughs> oh, oh, they were great questions. Thank you, Trent. My pleasure, Claire. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend the last hour or so with you and just getting to know you on different levels as a, uh, for those who are listening i i do know claire i've known claire for uh, quite a few years so it's been a real pleasure and an honor to uh to be on your podcast claire uh look forward to hearing many more of these in the future this one being number 30 which is a a real um achievement so uh, thank you very much and thank you to your listeners for listening and, and thank you, Trent. I know from the way that you've opened the questions, you've been doing research, and I was like, no, don't worry, don't don't worry, it's okay, it's all right. And 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 changing the questions around and making it really spontaneous for me. And I am so grateful, so grateful. And I just felt really safe with you to be able to to be authentic, even though. We know each other, but we don't know, you know, I'm sure a lot of the stuff that, that came out, you didn't know. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. A real pleasure. Maybe we'll do a part two at the end of next year. We keep this going. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And we hope that this conversation provided the insights and inspiration that you were looking for. Did you know that Authentic Leadership is currently ranking sixth in the top 25 Australian leadership podcasts? You can help us get to number one by heading over to Apple iTunes and doing three quick things. One, subscribing. Two, giving us a positive rating. And three, writing a short review. This is the most effective way for us to get the key messages around 21st century leadership out into the community. And before you go, if you're in the business of learning and development or HR and are looking for a facilitator or speaker, let's talk. You can head over to the BrainSmart website, that's brain-smart.com to see examples of our programs or email me, Claire, that's C-L-A-R-E at brain-smart.com. Go well and thanks for listening.